Hello, and welcome to the Tao Te Ching for Everyday Living. I'm your host, Dan Casas-Murray. This podcast is for the Tao curious, those looking for a random bit of wisdom once in a while, or for those who want to dive into this wonderful teaching. I've been studying the Tao Te Ching for just short of a year now, and have reconnected with a natural feeling of inner peace and contentment. I don't hold a doctorate, nor am I qualified to teach anything about the Tao Te Ching. I'm just an ordinary person who has experienced the wonderful side effects of following the Tao. Since everyone's experience with this wisdom is different, the only thing that I can hope for is that mine helps you to connect with a Tao in your own unique, personal way. Feel free to listen to each episode a day at a time, or anytime you need a quick Tao shot. You can listen while you're on your way to work, or after that, when you're winding down. It's always a good time to observe the Tao. In each episode, we'll do four things. One, we'll read a verse of the Tao Te Ching. Two, I'll break it down into everyday language. Three, I'll share my own thoughts and experience. And four, I'll leave you with a couple of the many ways you can put the Tao into practice for yourself. That's pretty much how I've been practicing the Tao every day. By listening to Lao Tzu, reflecting on his words of wisdom, listening to other comments, and trying to practice them in everyday life. Thanks for joining me today and enjoy this episode of the Tao Te Ching for Everyday Living. Verse 69, Practicing Humility Humbly. Those who use weapons have a saying which goes, I do not presume to act like the host, but instead play the part of the guest. I do not advance an inch, but would rather retreat a foot. This is called moving forward without appearing to move, rolling up one's sleeves without showing one's arms, grasping firmly without holding a weapon, and enticing to fight when there is no opponent. Of disasters, there is no greater catastrophe than thinking you have no rival. To think you have no rival is to come close to losing my treasures. Therefore, when weapons are raised and opponents are fairly well matched, then is the one who feels grief that will win. That's verse 69 of the Tao Te Ching, translated by Brahm Den Hund. Next, let's break it down. This verse has three parts to it, and we'll take each part one idea at a time. Part one talks about the roles of guest and host. Part two talks about hiding virtue, and part three talks about resistance. So part one is talking about the roles of guest and host. And I think the main idea that Lao Tzu is trying to convey or that is conveying that I'm trying to interpret is that it's easier to act as a guest than it is a host. And if you think about it, if you're a host of a party, have you ever been one of those? Man, you're just, you're just running around all the time and making sure that people are having a good time. 
And it's a great role and it's a wonderful role. But it's not relaxing. I mean, at least for me, it's not. <laughs> right? So I think the idea is that when you're the host, you're always in motion. You're always trying to provide. You're always acting. But as the guest, you're there to witness, to participate, to enjoy yourself, have a good time, and to observe. And so I think the main part of at least the takeaway for me on this first part is that if I'm a guest, I can observe more and I'm not called to do anything really, which is kind of a woo way thing if you think about it. So being the guest is actually more advantageous for me. Okay, so that's the first part. The second part talks about hiding virtue. Only what Lao Tzu is using here is a military motif. Uh, he's saying, okay, well, moving forward without appearing to move, rolling up one's sleeves without showing one's arms, grasping firmly without holding a weapon, that kind of stuff. So in the past, I have learned about examples of you know, military strategies where deception was like this whole thing. Like you don't want the enemy to see how well prepared you are so that they underestimate you. And then when it comes time for battle, you basically crush them because they haven't prepared. And I think that's what he's getting at in terms of the military thing. But how does this translate into actual virtue? Simply for me, this means, hey, Dan, don't show everybody how spiritually advanced you are. Like, that's not very humble, is it? Or it's not acting very humbly. And depending on my state of mind, that's not necessarily humble either, is it? I think the idea is to not display my qualities of virtue. Because when I do display those things, I am detracting from the actual virtue itself. And thus, it becomes unvirtuous. So the act of me defining my virtue is what crushes it basically. So to hold on to that, to hold on to humility, I ought not put it on display. That's my interpretation of the second part. Let's look at the third part. Lao Tzu says, of disasters, there is no greater catastrophe than thinking you have no rival. To think you have no rival is to come close to losing my treasures. Those seem to be the treasures from a couple verses ago. And then he says this last thing. It's it's basically, if everybody's like the same, like all else being equal, the, the side that is the least prepared to feel victorious after they win is actually the people that win. What does that mean? He says, then is the one who feels grief will win. Well, we've talked about this before. The people that don't revel in violence are the ones that actually win. Now, do they win physically? I don't know. Do they win morally and virtually? Yeah, they do. Because we're using violence to set boundaries, not necessarily to destroy and to dominate. And so I think that is really what this third part of the verse means, at least to me. Okay, so let's go ahead and wrap that up. Let's remember that verse 69 has three parts to it. Part one talks about the roles of guest and host. Part two talks about hiding virtue. And part three 
talks about resistance. So let's put that back together. I'll read verse 69 again. Those who use weapons have a saying which goes, I do not presume to act like the host, but instead play the part of the guest. I do not advance an inch, but would rather retreat a foot. This is called moving forward without appearing to move, rolling up one's sleeves without showing one's arms, grasping firmly without holding a weapon, and enticing to fight when there is no opponent. Of disasters, there is no greater catastrophe than thinking you have no rival. To think you have no rival is to come close to losing my treasures. Therefore, when weapons are raised and opponents are fairly well matched, then is the one who feels grief that will win. Let's take a look at some of the things that this verse made me think about today when considering practicing humility humbly. There are three things. Number one is being the guest. Number two is no need for posturing. And the third is a question. Who is the enemy? Being the guest. So we went from three treasures, the starting point of which was compassion, and then we went to contentment in the last verse. So how does the whole military thing bespeak humility? <laughs> in the past, I had just taken each verse as standalone and gained wonderful insights and wisdom from them. And this time I'm thinking to myself, wait, if we just talked about the treasures and covered two of them, then it would make sense that we'd talk about the third one. So I figured that this verse had something to do with humility. So Lao Tzu seems to be able to do that with a military metaphor. He opens up by saying that the military strategists say that it is always better to ref retreat a foot than advance an inch. They would rather be the ones to defend than attack. I mean, I guess. I can definitely say that everything surrounding my culture holds the opposite to be true. Like retreating never, never giving up, never surrendering. Even the military code of conduct I learned in the army was... That, like, no matter what, I was to not totally give up to the enemy should I be captured. In social situations, it's always, show them your teeth. Don't let them see you bleed. They can sense fear. Don't give them a chance. <laughs> so what gives? Could it be that my entire way of thinking about life is wrong? That I've been living a lie for 44 years? Well, my thought is that it's actually all true just depends on the objective. If my objective is to be the one who seems strong, then I should project strength and always attack. If my objective is to be the one who conserves strength and limits the consequences of conflict for myself, then defense and retreat is what I should concentrate on. Easy enough, I suppose. I mean, by considering it this way, we're not saying one way is preferred over the other. No value judgments there. So if I am woke to the fact that conflict only produces disharmony and causes more pain than joy for all, my objective is to avoid it, right? That seems to be right, but if I buy into this, I face a different problem. 
when I see injustice or I'm an unwilling participant on the receiving end of injustice, what then? What do I do then? I mean, I owe it to myself to be true and stand up for what I think is right, don't I? Do I need to retreat? Do I need to shrug it off and walk away and allow the injustice to occur? So as I think about this, perhaps direct conflict isn't the best way. I'm sure you've heard of the adage, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. I wonder if by retreating in the face of injustice, I might create an opportunity to dissolve enmity by applying compassion, contentment, and humility. Could I, in the face of injustice, sidestep the actual fight and look for a way to dissolve the conflict with the unjust? In a way, that would help them to see the pain they're causing and change their ways, wouldn't it? Not by enabling them and giving in, rather by doing something different. I think there could be many options for me when considered this way. Lao Tzu urges us to be the guest rather than the host. Have you ever hosted a party or an event? I mean, I don't know about you, but I've found that I can rarely enjoy it when I'm the one responsible for everyone having a good time. Could there be a way to allow the unjust to tire themselves while I sit in the back and create opportunities for them to do that? And be ready to educate or divert their attention once they become receptive? Could there be a way to use their own injustice or momentum against them without having to directly oppose it? Perhaps yes, perhaps no. I think the main idea here isn't to avoid conflict at all costs, even at the cost of one's well-being. Rather, I think the idea is that assuming an initial posture of the guest puts us in a place where we're able to explore many different options than direct and costly opposition. No need for posturing. Have you ever seen a military show of force parade? I mean, it's impressive. Rows and rows of synchronized soldiers moving as one, and the tanks and missiles and other weapons rolling silently behind them. Okay, maybe rumbling. (laughs) Not so silent. And of course, the music to underscore it all, the ceremony, the ambiance. It's all very powerful. And, Lao Tzu says in this verse, not required for practice and humility. He says we ought not to march with sleeves roll up or in formations. But aren't shows of force necessary for states so that other states might think twice about invading or just messing with them? Don't we sometimes need the posture in order to signal that others ought not mess with us? Now we're thinking of deterrence here, which I might argue is a little different than displays of power. It seems to me that Displays of power only invite chaos. They are designed to show strengths, which inevitably reveal weaknesses. I'll display all my weapons for all to see, but I can't display the weapons I don't have, can I? By showing what I've got, I'm giving others information on my strengths and possibly exploitable weaknesses. Deterrents seem a little more passive. Like, they don't tell the whole story. They just Tell a part of it, which perhaps may make an enemy consider a different course of action. But even deterrence aren't a requirement for us to practice humility. No, 
Lao Tzu says, The best thing to do is to remain hidden completely. You can't fight what you don't even realize is there, can you? As an ordinary person, at home, at work, with friends, I give up the role of the loving one, the solidly competent one, the funny or wise one. For what? Why would I want to give up the idea of being somebody? Why should I not display my strengths with others? Well, all of a sudden, if I decide to proclaim myself as a Taoist, I'm going to have to start doing Taoist things. I'll have to think Taoist thoughts. I'll need to prescribe Taoist remedies for others. And when this happens, I'll have lost the feeling of being connected with a Tao because I'm simply too busy acting like a Taoist, or what I think a Taoist should act like. Perhaps I'll be too busy acting like a good spouse or parent to enjoy life, to live and learn about the intimate deep love that comes with the family. Perhaps I'll be too busy showing my strengths at work and miss the opportunity to fully grow into new skills. Maybe my friends have all the answers I seek. Only, I can't see them because they're designed for people who are the serious ones, not the funny or wise ones. So why be ordinary? Why remain like the simple, uncarved block, marching without formation or displays of power? Why practice humility? To wring out as much out of this experience as possible, I would say. By staying unidentified, I set distractors aside from my human experience. I don't have to act powerful if I never projected in the first place. So when I do need to set a boundary, I haven't spent all my energy in making it look like I can. I can actually do it with less, deal with it, and continue on my journey. Who is the enemy? Lao Tzu says that in underestimating the enemy, he is in danger of losing his treasures. Now, across translations, most folks are suggestive that he means those treasures that we talked about in verse 67, compassion, contentment, and humility. So let's suppose he means these things for our discussion. But how? How does underestimating an enemy lead to the loss of these things? If we're thinking within the military theme, treasures could mean losing the battle and therefore the soldiers, families, and homes to the enemy. If we're thinking about our lives today, we could see that anytime we take our eyes off of practicing compassion, contentment, and humility and let others control our senses of well-being, we're in danger of losing them, at least temporarily. Underestimating the enemy, though. Who's the enemy? <laughs> you know, as I moved through this verse, I was thinking that there's a meaning I'm after that is buried deeper. Like in all the verses, I'm betting there is a very personal level to this verse. One that I can take beyond just dealing with other countries, war, or even people external to me at home, work, or with friends. And I think this last line helps me get there. I am a tiny replica of the Tao inside. I have yin energy and I have yang energy. They're seemingly opposites of the same entity that I summarily call the Dan consciousness. 
In verse two, we said long and short define each other. We said happy and sad while seeming opposites need one another for identity. Within me, I have a dark side and a light side. I have selfish impulses and desires as defined by selfless thoughts and acts. I have enmity, ambition, and pride as defined by compassion, contentment, and humility. So now, let me consider again. Who is the enemy? Doesn't an enemy need an opposing force to define itself? Don't I need a righteous side to have a non-righteous side or enemy? Underestimating an enemy is a mistake one makes in exercising faulty judgment due to a number of factors. Here, we can call it lack of experience or pride or any other dark side attribute. When I fail to recognize the danger or even the seemingly benign condition of the myriad manifestations of self through indulgence in selfish desires, even when they're mixed with pure intentions, I am in danger of losing my three treasures. When I say, oh, it's okay to want a tiny piece of whatever for myself, aren't I underestimating the power of that which keeps me away from a unifying experience with the Tao? It can be obvious and it can be subtle. I have much work to do. I have underestimated myself for so long that it has sneakily taken over a lot of my subconscious programming. But the good news for me is that I have experienced how easy it is to undo that programming if only I look and I'm willing to do it, for starters. And here's the other thing. I find that I've already got those three treasures. They're my birthright. They are there within me. They always have been. So there is nothing to lose, really, except that which I give away to my impulses and desires. And what's even cooler, in my opinion, is that like anything else, a loss of these treasures is temporary. Since nothing is permanent, I can always reclaim my birthrights by placing myself in a position of what I feel this verse is about. The treasure of humility. So, to wrap up my experience with this verse today and considering practicing humility humbly, I thought about three things. Number one was being the guest. Number two is there's no need for posturing. And number three, by asking, who is the enemy? For the final piece of this episode, let's consider how we can apply the principle of practicing humility humbly in this verse today. For me, I have found humility to be an ongoing practice, one that requires constant attention and balance. I have experienced two sides of humility. The first is when I feel I'm superior to others or have superior morals or have said superior things or have acted in superior ways. I somehow allow these feelings of superiority into my mind as a shortcut to connecting with the Tao. I say, look, there's evidence that we are okay and we are worthy of harmony. I feel like this is a shortcut because 
It still takes an effort for me to move into harmony. I must get still, become aware, and focus. It is much easier to say, well, I acted or thought or was superior. (laughs) So having not done this work for much of my life, it is difficult for now. I suspect in a few years, it'll get easier if I keep practicing. To practice humility in this case, I must remember that I am always okay. And there's no need to feel superior to anyone or anything. Now, the other side of humility is when I feel unworthy. During life, there are things that occur, things that I interpret that I allow to make me feel insecure. You know, emotionally, financially, intimately, or socially insecure. Those are the main categories for me. This feeling of insecurity, it's this feeling of ick that makes me wonder if I'm even allowed to be here in life. Like, there are others that are way more worthy than I am. Now, these insecurities are also shortcuts for me. They're the result of me looking at what I think is evidence and being okay with the outcome, that I don't deserve my own love because I am defective somehow. I say this is a shortcut because it takes work and introspection to remember that despite what I may experience through my corporeal senses, I am still, and always will be, a perfect expression of the Tao. In the moment, it's easier to give in and move on. And again, it is difficult for now to stop, dig through that programming, and reassess any false beliefs I have around my insecurities. But the idea is there. I am still a perfect expression of the Tao. I'd like to invite you to consider these two aspects of humility this week. Become aware of when you feel like you are in the right on something. Do you keep thinking about an argument or disagreement because you're rationalizing your correct point of view? Anytime you ask how dare so-and-so say that or think that way, you are, like me, placing yourself above others. And I'd like to invite you to become aware of when you feel embarrassed or apologetic for something. Know that as a human, you are a learning machine. Learning is defined by lack of knowledge. It can also be defined by mistake-making. By being vulnerable with the Tao, you are fulfilling your purpose by stepping into who you are and who you will become. There is never any need to apologize for who you are. When, in the midst of a busy life, I find that once in a while I can feel like I'm directly in the middle of infinity and connected with the Tao because I have practiced humility, I know that all is right with the world. I wish this and more for you. And that'll wrap it up for today. Thank you for considering the principle of practicing humility humbly with me today. To close out this episode, I'll leave you with a final reading of verse 69 of the Tao Te Ching, translated by Bram Den Hond. Those who use weapons have a saying which goes, I do not presume to act like the host, but instead play the part of the guest. I do not advance an inch 
but would rather retreat afoot. This is called moving forward without appearing to move, rolling up one's sleeves without showing one's arms, grasping firmly without holding a weapon, and enticing to fight when there is no opponent. Of disasters, there is no greater catastrophe than thinking you have no rival. To think you have no rival is to come close to losing my treasures. Therefore, when weapons are raised and opponents are fairly well matched, then is the one who feels grief that will win. Thanks for listening to an episode of the Tao Te Ching for Everyday Living with your host, Dan Casas-Murray. This podcast is for the Tao curious, those looking for a random bit of wisdom once in a while, or for those who want to dive into this wonderful teaching. In each episode, we do four things. One, we read a verse of the Tao Te Ching. Two, we break it down into everyday language. Three, we discuss my own thoughts and experience with the Tao. And four, we look at a couple of the many ways you can put the Tao into practice for yourself. That's pretty much how I've been practicing the Tao every day. By listening to Lao Tzu, reflecting on his words of wisdom, listening to other comments, and trying to practice them in everyday life. I'm pretty sure that as I learn about and experience more of the Tao, all my thoughts and lessons will change. I wish the same for you as you grow along your journey. If you found something meaningful in this podcast and would like to discuss it with others, I'd like to encourage you to subscribe to the subreddit Taoism. That's reddit.com slash r slash Taoism. Also, I'd invite you to share this podcast with friends if you think it would benefit them. As always, I wish you love, compassion, and peace. Thanks for listening.